All right, we are here with a rundown of the Stark Bowman. So we're going to try a new format here. What we're going to do is have a general rundown of the unit, the attachments that I believe would be best of this unit, and then the commanders that are actually going to fit in best for the playstyle of these guys. General rundown. Let's take a look at these guys' stats. We have a movement of five. We have two attacks, one being arrow volley, six dice, five dice, four dice, hitting on fours, and then a short sword attack at five dice, four dice to three dice, hitting on fours as well. The defensive stats on these guys are a 5-plus defense and a 7-plus morale. Nothing to write home about on either of those accounts. In fact, it's strictly below average on most accounts, although it is about average for ranged uh, units. We have an average speed and a melee attack that's absolute garbage. That should tell you right off the bat these guys don't want to be anywhere near combat. Also, the name Bowman should have tipped you off as well. So looking at the arrow volley attack, we have a long-range attack with the following special abilities. If this unit does not shift before attacking, this attack rolls plus four dice, and this attack ignores intervening units and terrain. So what this means for these guys is that they have potentially the most attack dice out of any unit in the game currently, baseline, being able to roll up to ten dice if they don't shift. Now when you shift to doing range attack, you get a two-inch move in any direction you so choose, so theoretically these guys have upwards of a 14-inch threat range, just baseline. But really, you don't want to move these guys because you really want those extra four dice, bringing their attacks to a total of 10, 9, and 8. So even at red, these guys are rolling more attack dice than most any other unit. The attack doesn't have any special abilities, but something to note is that all ranged attacks still benefit from flank and rear bonuses and are usually much easier to get compared to melee. So if you position these guys correctly, you should be getting off a minus one to the enemy defense and their uh, uh, panic check when you fire at these guys. Now, the other important thing to note about this attack is that it does ignore intervening units and terrain. So this means that you can screen these guys behind palisades, behind other units, and really keep them out of danger versus some other ranged units that have to be at least somewhat exposed to get their maximum effect off. So here you have a high damage output that the second it sees combat is probably going to evaporate because that 5 plus defense and 7 plus morale is not going to be doing them any favors. So these guys' positioning is key. And that's really the case with most ranged units. These guys are going to give you a little bit more leeway though, specifically because that arrow volley does allow you to ignore intervening units and terrain. That's probably the most important thing to make use of these guys. So screen them behind your units, keep them in terrain, behind terrain, behind places that the opponent is going to have to really go out of their way to get to. Uh, one key strategy of these guys is because the Starks have such a good baseline morale, you can lock units up into combat and then safely fire into said combat and not really worry so much about your own guys. This combos well with Umber Berserkers who have a baseline 4 plus morale, Tully Sworn Shields who have a 6 plus. You know, really, any of your units, these guys can just sit behind them and start pelting, you know, uh, into combat with that 10 dice and not really worry so much about any type of losses that you might experience. Okay. Let's take a look at attachments for these guys. So in general, speaking about ranged units, you're not going to really want to load these guys down with any special attachments because you're going to waste a lot of points with that. These guys are best left nearly naked at six points, but there are a couple options you can consider. By far and above the best currently available for Starks is the one-point Kranigman Warden. Uh, this is going to be your go-to attachment for these guys just 90% of the time. I'm going to level a few there. That's the honest truth. Okay, the Kranigman Warden is going to bring Opportunist to these guys, which is going to allow you to reroll any misses when you target a unit that has not activated this round. That means you're going to be throwing upwards of 10 dice and rerolling any of those 4 pluses, putting just a staggering amount of damage, and for a mere 7 point investment. 
Well, I shouldn't say mirror. That is a little bit of investment. Frankly, for the damage output, it's well worth it. This is also going to force your opponent to play the activation game because they're going to be put into a bad situation of, okay, do I activate this unit, knowing that it is going to get pelted in a second by 10 dice that get rerolls, or do I activate something else across the battlefield that's a much better like tactical play to do. So I'm always a big fan of units and situations that make your opponent make a bad or a tough choice and really create a no-win uh, no situation for them. This is one of them. So I would strongly recommend if you're going to use any of your points to put an attachment, stick a Kranigman Warden in with these guys. For the other two uh, attachments uh, in, sorry, I should have said, I'm going to recommend three attachments. Kranigman Warden, 90% of the time. These other two, very situational, almost not worth talking about. Okay, you got to level a few there. The other one, uh, number two, though, is going to be Rob Stark, the Wolf Lord, if you're running him as your commander. Uh, I see a lot of players doing this, and it's not a bad choice. It's not my personal favorite, but I see the merit in it. So Rob Stark's ability is that when an enemy within long range declares a charge, you can activate his wolf's cunning ability, and they suffer a disorderly charge. It's nice to stick him in with the bowman, because he's not really doing anything to benefit a melee unit outside of his tactics cards. The issue, though, is that his tactics cards really are benefiting the unit that he is in, so you really need to take that into consideration. Now, the reason you might stick him in a unit of bowmen here is because you can, again, screen him behind a unit that's actually much better in melee, and then trigger the whole, your opponent's going to charge until you get a disorderly charge. The thing, though, is that considering that it is a long-range ability, and if you're going to screen another unit in front of him, that's usually going to take up about six inches or so, assuming you're right behind them, that means the opponent's probably going to be up on you anyway, and I just don't really feel that that's the best use of that effect. Then, taking into consideration that a lot of his cards are going to gain an added benefit from um, targeting his unit, I really just, again, I see some merit in doing this if you don't have anywhere else to stick Rob, or if you want to put another attachment in unit, but frankly, it's by far a, a very far second place that I would stick him in a unit of Stark Bowman, versus, you know, uh, sticking a Kramer Warden, or just leaving them vanilla. The last option to look at, as far as my top three, is actually going to be Brawn the Sellsword. I've seen some people do this when they want to take a uh, Wealth Zone approach to Starks, which does go outside their playstyle a bit, because they usually want to take the Combat and Maneuver Zone. But if you stick Brawn with the unit, it is going to cover a lot of their weaknesses. It's going to give them a little extra boost of speed, which is fine. It's going to give them plus two additional attack dice, which is going to raise their dice to a potential 12 and it's going to give them plus two to their morale saves. Uh, sorry, uh, any of their morale sa uh, save rolls, I should say. Important distinction there. Which is going to effectively give them a five plus in the stat. This is going to help them from, you know, getting zapped by, like, the crown effect or such. Which, frankly, a lot of opponents that don't want to dedicate a unit are probably going to start plinking these guys with the crown to try to whittle them down. That's going to help mitigate that a bit, in combination with the fact that Brawn wants the wealth zone anyway. So you can heal these guys up, give them a buffer against any further damage in there, and that's going to help you out a bit. That's a two-point investment, and again, I feel that Braum, if you're going to run him, could probably be better used elsewhere. So that's a distant third option for me here. Again, I really got to keep stressing, if you're going to put an attachment to these guys, Kranigman Warden is the go-to for them. Frankly, I think that that's really your best option, or just leave them vanilla, because frankly, vanilla, they're fine, they're relatively cheap, and they're going to be effective and force your opponent to actually do something about them, or just keep suffering that plink damage the entire game. Okay, so let's talk about what commanders are going to make use of Stark Bowman. Frankly, being a supplemental range unit, 
there is never a bad choice to include these guys in your army. Uh, on that same, the other side of the coin here, there's not really going to be a commander that is going to overly synergize with these guys just yet. Uh, if I had to pick one, I would actually say an Umber Force led by Great John Umber is probably going to get the most mileage out of these guys. Just because your morale value is going to be so good anyway that you can suit into combat almost worry-free because the bulk of your army is going to be facing down a 4-plus with the Umber Berserkers or a 6-plus if you're running Umber Great Axes. The other option would be if you're running a stalwart heavy army, usually featuring someone like Brendan Tully and the uh, Tully Sworn Seals. So those guys can again lock into combat, they like prolonged engagements. By doing that, you're letting the bowmen actually you know, get a little bit more effective by just continually firing in combat. The sworn shields are meant to kind of whittle an opponent down and grind them over time and just outlast them. The Stark bowmen are going to help you kill guys because once something is locked up with the Tullys, they're really going to have a tough time punching through them, and so their options are going to be either retreat out of combat, at which point they're going to give up objectives, they're going to give up board positioning, or they're going to sit there in combat with a guy that they just can't kill and taking rains of arrows down over their heads constantly, while the Tully Sworn Shields with a respectable 6-plus morale are really just going to sit there and just, you know, hammer down. Oh, sorry, 5-plus, my mistake. Um, so those are the, really the two best armies, I feel, that are going to make use of that. And the thing is, is that both of those armies are not so much armies as they are key units. Because right now, a lot of people are going to be running Berserkers, a lot of people are going to be running uh, Tully Sworn Shields. So I feel if either of your... Um, play styles are featuring prominently either of those units, that bowmen are going to be a natural fit. Now in addition to that though, bowmen really fit into any strategy or uh, army because they're relatively cheap, as I mentioned, at six points, and they're going to give you a threat that your opponent has to deal with. When you have ranged units and your opponent doesn't, you're taking a dynamic of the game that and taking it away from them and forcing a problem that they're going to have to deal with. They're going to have to commit a melee unit to coming after you, and because these guys can just sit there and screen behind you, uh, behind your other combat units, you're in a much better board state, even just going into the game, than a lot of opponents. Now, this is equivalent to being down an NCU, you know, versus an opponent. If they're running three, or you're running two, or hell, even if you're just running one and they're running two, it creates a different dynamic. You're giving yourself an advantage that your opponent doesn't have. Now, I will say, and I will stress again, uh, knowing how to position these guys and really knowing where to get them on the battlefield, when best to use them, and how to move them around in combination with the tactics board is very important to utilizing these guys properly. One thing that a lot of new players have uh, trouble coming into the game is that you know, ranged attacks in this game are supplemental to your force. This is not a game where you're going to have 24, 30 inch ranges where your range guys can just sit back in your deployment zone and be worry-free and effective the entire game. No, you're going to have to get up there with them, put them in some risk, put them in some danger, and actually, you know, have them be part of the fight. It's not some mindless thing where you can just keep them in the back. That's something to keep in note with all ranged attacks in the game. But luckily, the Stark Bowmen have, again, a little bit of forgiveness in the fact that they can ignore intervening units, and really, you know, that is a big uh, deal for them. The other way to look at these guys is they're a very strong aspect of area control. Starks already do a little bit of that with their expert maneuverability and being able to just move across the battlefield, dictate the flow and positioning of the fight. Uh, Stark bowmen really help with that because they create this big zone of danger for the opponent that if they come in it, you're just going to start pelting them with you know 10 dice. 
These guys, again, don't really want to move around too much in shift versus some other ranged units. These guys really want to set up in an area and just create this nasty little zone for the opponent where if they come in, they're just going to start suffering. And the thing is, is that, again, because you can lock units up with melee and, you know, start firing into that combat and your morale is going to be so good that you can just kind of take those hits, you actually have a bit of a mobile death zone with these guys that you can create. Now, how many of these units would I include in an army? I think one is plenty. If you want to go of two, though, you um, can definitely do that because they are relatively on the cheap end, as I keep saying. But it is a proper balance of, you know, being able to protect these guys and then also, you know, have them be effective. Two units have some really good merit because you can run on either side of the flank and really force your opponent to make a bad choice here, okay, because they're going to have to deal with these guys. And if you have them on both flanks, then odds are at least one of your units is going to get up into an enemy's flank and start really hammering them with that minus one to defend saves, minus one to panic test. So positioning is key with these guys, as is of all range units, but again, these guys are a little bit more forgiving. So that's going to conclude our rundown of the Stark Bowman. Hopefully you found this informative. Join me next time where we will talk about a different unit. Bye.